We are going to debunk some vegan myths, give you some tips and strategies for making plant-based and wellness easy, and a whole lot more today with Maxime Seguine. Welcome to the Sonia Looney Show. This is a podcast about high performance and well-being, and I'm your host, Sonia. And if you're new around here, I am a world and multi-time national champion in mountain biking, and I still race professionally. I'm a health and mental performance coach, a writer, a mom of two little kids, and I own my own business. And if you're not new around here, welcome. I'm so glad that you're back, and I'm so grateful that you are a part of this awesome community and that we get to learn and grow together. There's a process called the Dickens process where I get some of my members and I do calls with them and just close your eyes, imagine the current habits and how you're living your life and the decisions that you're having. Typically we do it with like a limiting belief or a value system that potentially is not serving us. So you have a limiting belief that, well, I can't cook food and be fit. It's just not for me. I'm like, okay, well, let's just sit with this. Let's imagine what your life is like in one year from now. Like really feel what it's like if you were to have this belief system for the next year. How would your body be? How would your mindset be? How would your life be? Let's go to five years, let's go to 10 years, let's go to 15 years. And we kind of push it up to like 30, 40 years. How would your life be? Like really feel the emotions of how it feels. And people are like, man, I'd be fat, I'd be miserable, I'd be depressed, my, my partner probably would have left me. And then you start to like, again, your brain doesn't know the difference between reality and what you're you know, processing in your head, right? So you start to feel those emotions and it's like, hey, cool, let's just come back to right now. You just realize, None of this has happened yet, but this is only a glimpse of what's possible for you in the future. So like now, what is a different set of rules that you could live by that would cause you to not have this future? And then we redo the exercise, we push to have a more appealing future, right? So we're just, we're just imprinting in your nervous system the new pattern, basically. Hello from Breckenridge, Colorado. I am in stage five out of six at the Breck Epic Stage Race. We are also on the final day of the Women's Cycling Summit, which has been a four-day summit here in Breckenridge, Colorado. You can check out our speakers at womencyclingsummit.com and look for next year because we are already planning 2024. I can't wait to share with you a bunch of things from the Women's Cycling Summit, and there will be an entire podcast episode about that, as well as talking about my experience here at my fourth Breck Epic and I believe my 32nd stage race. I've lost count how many stage races I've done, but it's somewhere around 32. Breckenridge, Colorado holds a very special place in my heart because I feel like I grew up racing here when I used to live in Colorado. I would come to Breck any chance I could get for a big adventure or a race, and I even got married here in 2013 to my husband at 10 Mile Station. So Breck has a lot of memories, a lot of fun adventures here, and it was so awesome to be back. One of my favorite things about being in Colorado is the community here. Community and relationships are one of the most important things for well-being, if not the most important thing. Being able to reconnect with so many of you has meant the world to me, and I can't wait to continue to see more of you in Boulder next week and in Crested Butte for the Grand Traverse. If you're enjoying the podcast, make sure that you hit that subscribe button or that follow button so that you don't miss any more episodes. And I also occasionally send out an email from sonyalooney.com newsletter. That is where you can subscribe with an article that I have written and some podcasts that have topped the charts that you don't want to miss. So you can go to sonyalooney.com newsletter and sign up. And you can also follow me on Instagram at sonyalooney, where I post videos with actionable takeaways on how to be better in your life 
little bit about what it looks like to be a parent of two toddlers and pursuing lots of big things in my life. We also share some key takeaways from guests on my Instagram account. So that is at Sonia Looney. Wellness is something that is very important to me, and that can be a very blanketed term. And as a national board certified health and wellness coach, health and wellness is a very broad term. I have something called the wheel of health I use with my clients that involves so much more than diet. It involves spirituality. It involves relationships. It involves self-compassion. And those are just a few spokes on the wheel of health. And if you think about a wheel, everything is interconnected and the wheel cannot be strong and it cannot roll well whenever some of the spokes are weak or broken. So today's focus in the podcast is going to be about living a plant-based life, which is something that I am also very passionate about. I changed my diet to plant-based about 10 years ago, and that has been a big game changer in my life. And it is something I'm very passionate about. And I think that sometimes whenever you make a keystone action, and for me, it was changing my diet, it snowballs into all of these other areas of wellness and gives you a new level of clarity and a new level of vitality so that you can approach these other areas on the wheel of health so that you can be your best. Something that I focus on in addition to great nutrition is making sure that I'm taking the highest quality supplements. I don't take a ton of supplements, but I do take a daily multivitamin from Prevenex. And I trust Prevenex because they have the highest quality ingredients. They are pharmaceutical grade. And I've personally seen the data from the testing to show what is in these supplements because a lot of times you don't know what you're taking and that can be really scary. So I trust Prevenex and I'm so glad I feel so much more energy after taking their multivitamin and it is something that I do not miss in my daily habits. My son Bradley also takes their children's multivitamin, the Supervites, and we are always so careful about what we give our children, but maybe we haven't thought about what we are giving them in their multivitamins. So I encourage you to check out Prevenex. Go to Prevenex.com. They have a bunch of other great products that I also enjoy, and they have a great mission where they have a give one, get one, where they give vitamins to children in need who are suffering from malnutrition. So go over to Prevenex.com and use the code Sonya15. That is S-O-N-Y-A-15 at Prevenex.com to save 15% off your first order. And guess what? If you don't like the multivitamins or any other products for some strange reason, they have a 30-day money-back guarantee. So you basically have nothing to lose with trying Prevenex. So let's get to today's guest, Maxime Seguin. He has a very interesting story, and I loved connecting with him. And something that we talked about is what health means to you. If you've been listening to this podcast or you know me, you know that I have been plant-based for a long time. And as I mentioned, I went plant-based 10 years ago, but it wasn't for performance or to look a certain way. And everybody comes to eating a plant-based diet or making lifestyle changes for different reasons. But for me, it was about vitality and disease prevention. After watching the documentary Forks Over Knives, I realized how much the way I ate impacted my longevity and health span. I realized that things that I thought were genetic and that just ran in my family were not. It was due to the foods that our families eat and the culture and lifestyle that our families pass down from generation to generation. And now I feel stronger than ever. And I love diving into deep discussions about how we can make it easier for people to embrace the power of plants. And if you've heard me speak about plant-based nutrition, I've spoken at conferences, I have done podcasts about it. I am also certified in plant-based nutritional studies from Cornell. I don't say that everybody has to go 100% plant-based. I don't believe that it needs to be black or white, but eating with a plant slant, just adding things in can make a big difference in your health and longevity. 
For me, I liked it so much that I wanted to eat 100% plant-based, and that was 10 years ago. So if you want to experience the benefits of eating plant-based, and maybe you're a little bit worried about your performance as an athlete. I know I was whenever I first started my plant-based diet. Know that you don't have to worry about that. In fact, I was featured in a book, a New York Times bestseller called The Plant-Based Athlete, where there are many stories about athletes and how they integrate plant-based diets into their lifestyle and a bunch of recipes as well. So make sure that you check out The Plant-Based Athlete by Robert Cheek and Matt Frazier. So what does plant-based even mean? Enter Maxime Seguin, master health coach, philanthropist, and founder of multiple plant-based fitness coaching businesses. With years of experience under his belt, Maxime has made it his mission to help 10,000 vegans get into the best shape of their lives using whole foods, plant-based diets. We dive deep into Maxime's journey from bodybuilding and modeling to becoming a plant-based fitness guru. We discuss common myths and misconceptions surrounding the vegan lifestyle and both share anecdotes and real-world examples that debunk these common tropes. This episode is not only about how to optimize your health with a plant-based lifestyle, but also how to thrive in every aspect of your life. I'm so excited for you to listen to this episode. It meant a lot to me to get to interview Maxime, and it's always good, no matter what you're doing, to remind yourself why you're doing it and to share that passion with others. So I hope that you enjoyed this episode, and I can't wait to hear your thoughts. Maxime, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. Excited to be here. It's really funny. Right before we hit record, I realized that we lived in the same place for a long time. And then you just moved to LA. Yeah. Yeah. I was there for eight months. and I was came from LA to Squamish for eight mm. months. So yeah, we could have connected <laughs> when I was there. What brought you to Squamish? I used to live in Coquitlam for over five years. And then kind of ended up moving to like Mexico and traveling around and met my now fiance in LA. Oh, cool. Tried for a visa, didn't work out. So I got booted out. So I'm like, let me just go <laughs> back to BC because it was the closest place. And um, I just wanted peace ultimately from living in LA for a year. I just mm -hmm. wanted peace and quiet. And Squamish is right in the middle of peace. So that's why I went exactly. there. <laughs> cool. Well, I guess this is a good place to start is, you know, a lot of people will look at somebody and maybe even in LA, especially, you know, a lot, there's a lot of, uh, you know, attractive or health, healthy quote looking people there. But what does health yeah. really look like? Because a lot of people are trying to assign health by looking at somebody, but you can't always assign by what somebody looks like. Yeah. So I would assign health to vitality. I would say that those pretty much go hand in hand. Like when you wake up and you're just vibrant and kicking for life, like to me, that's ultimate health. If you're, you know, if you're eating and living in a way that allows you to live as long as possible and feel good as long as possible, then in my book, you're doing the healthy thing, you're doing the right thing. It has nothing to do necessarily with having a six pack or a bigger butt, flat stomach, whatever it may be. Um, it's more of like a feeling and for you to actually have longevity. Yeah, I think that that's a really freeing feeling because I mean, especially as a female and as an endurance athlete, I used to think I have to look a certain way or I have to mm -hmm. be a certain weight in order to quote perform or be a real athlete. And actually, it was when I changed my diet to plant based like 10 years ago that I stopped focusing on those things because it became about how I felt. And I think that the yeah. message about health is starting to change that it's not just about looking like somebody in a magazine, but it's about how you feel. Yeah, absolutely. And especially as an athlete, it's definitely about how you feel. Because there's people that look great as an athlete, but they perform terribly. So it, it definitely has nothing to do with, <laughs> with muscle mass or leanness. Yeah. And so this is something you can speak to. Like, I'd love to hear about your, your story, like how you transitioned to plant-based and what you were doing before that. 
Yeah, for sure. So, you know, I'll, I'll kind of start a little bit way back, but I grew up on a on a farm. Like we had chickens, we had cows, we had geese. We were you know, weren't vegan at the time, but like we killed our own chicken for meat. We grabbed fresh eggs every morning. So I came from the opposite side of the spectrum of being vegan. My dad would always make fun of like people like tofu is like a block of plastic ultimately. So that's kind of what I grew up with. And, you know, I, I've always been into sports. I, I, I've played basketball all through high school and college, fell into bodybuilding and powerlifting. So I got like really big and strong throughout the years. And one day was training with a friend and he was my ride for that training. So before we had to go back home, he stopped as one of his friend's apartments. Like, I just need to pick up some things. He opens the door. There's like a runway inside the apartment, like a fashion runway. And I was like, <laughs> what, what kind of friend do you have here? And ended up being his modeling agent. And she saw me again. I'm I'm six foot four, 240 pounds, like big chubby cheeks. And she's like, I see something under those chubby cheeks. You try losing some weight and we'll do a photo shoot. And so wow. I was like, you know what? I'm prepping for a show. I'm going to lean out. Let's give it a shot, right? Like, why not? I couldn't even, I never thought that people made money being on magazines or on covers of things. I didn't even know that was a thing. It was just like, I just never put any thought into it. So ultimately, did my first cut, did my first photo shoot, and started booking some jobs and make some money. I was like, damn, this is this is great. I'm making more money than when I was working at Subway, and then uh, I just have to take photos. I think this is awesome. Can I stop um, you for a second and, and, and talk yeah. about this? So modeling is so hard. Like, I don't think that people really understand how hard it is to have different faces that you can make in front of the camera, and that that is a skill in and of itself. Can, can you talk about how you learned how to do that, or did it just come naturally? It didn't come naturally and I never learned it properly. That's why I got out of it after three <laughs> years. <laughs> I think I just like had a look that was popular at the time because it's very like season dependent, right? Sometimes mm -hmm. they're looking for a bearded tattoo guys. If you're not that, you're not working a lot. If they're looking for a 12 year old look, which was what was in style when I was in that world, then you have to be skinny and look like a 12 year old. So I tried to master the facial expression. Like I would hide my face, be in the mirror and like smize, you know, trying to yeah. like smize, open your eyes into different emotions. <laughs> I don't think I ever mastered it, but I did enough to be able to like, I worked in New York, I worked in Milan. I kind of like was able to travel around, but never, never made it big. I, I just did enough that sounds to like see making how it toxic. <laughs> yeah, but it, it sounds like it. But when you're there and you're living in an apartment with five other people and doing 15 <laughs> castings a day, like it's it's not as luxurious as people think it is. And it's very toxic space. Yeah. Like the whole the whole drug scene and like puking and under eating is true on the international scene, local scene, not so much. Mm -hmm. But yeah, so ultimately, like kind of did my first job, make some money. I was like, oh, this is awesome. Which like you need to get skinnier because I was a size extra large in my clothing. And she's like, you need to be like a small medium, like a medium. And oh. I was like, well, that's that's a lot of chest that I have to kind of fit in that shirt. So I went on Google and I was like, what diet's gonna allow me to get skinny? And vegans showed up. Like vegans are skinny and weak. I was like, well, I don't care if I'm weak, I just need to be skinny so I can fit in the clothes. So ultimately I swapped my breakfast of like 12 eggs for breakfast, three chicken breasts, two to three chicken breasts every two hours, five meals per day. The next day I was eating a bowl of frozen blueberries, dates, and bananas for my breakfast. Right. And that was like all, all, over nine years ago. And that was my my early start to veganism. I, I stopped strength training. I just did cardio. I severely under ate because I didn't know how to fuel myself properly. Lost 80 pounds in my first year, again, on purpose, because I was trying to get skinny and then managed to kind of like get into that world a little bit more. But that's kind of what started me into veganism. And I started watching like Forks Over Knives and some of these documentaries. And at that time, my grandfather got diagnosed with cancer. And after I was watching Forks and I was like, man, there's a, there's a connection here. Like he's been eating terrible all of his life and living a really unhealthy lifestyle. And now he's dealing with these diseases. 
And so when he passed away, it kind of just really sealed the deal for me of like veganism is the way to go. Like, I feel so much better. And now there's all this proof. You know, fast forward a few years, almost like almost like six, seven years ago, uh, I meet my ex-partner. She get diagnosed with breast cancer within three years of us meeting. Uh, sorry, within three months of us meeting, she gets diagnosed with breast cancer. I choose to stay and be her caregiver. Doctors gave her a year to live. She switched to whole food plant-based as soon as she got sick. She ended up living an extra an extra four years. She made it five years. I would say like a pretty good quality of life compared to someone that is supposed to be sick. And unfortunately, she ended up passing away over two years ago. But that's kind of what got me kickstarted on this journey that I'm on and why I'm such a like a huge fan of of veganism and whole food plant-based eating as a way to disease proof the body ultimately. Yeah. I mean, I saw Forks Over Knives in 2012 and I am a professional athlete. I was a professional athlete, mountain biker at the time. And that's what ultimately made me change my diet. It wasn't for performance or to look a certain way. It was for health. And yeah. And the thing, I, I just didn't know that the way that you ate greatly impacted your longevity and your health span. And I don't love what happened. That's a really difficult story. And I'm sorry that that happened to you and, and to your, you know, your ex-partner and to your grandpa, but this stuff is real. And mm -hmm. sometimes it takes a wake up call for people to say, Hey, like I might need to rethink how I'm doing some of these things. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, like I'm obviously, I'd say put this, I'm grateful for the experiences that I've had because they brought me to where I'm at into on the mission that I'm on now. And, you know, I got to experience it secondhand. And so I can't even imagine what it's like firsthand. And I don't want to, which is why I'm not waiting for the pain to come to kind of change. I'm like, we just need to like continue this path right away. Yeah. So how did the way that you ate vegan change after you wa you watched Forks Over Knives or was it because vegan and whole foods plant-based can be really different? Yeah, for sure. Well, I started vegan like over nine years ago. So there wasn't a lot of, you've been vegan for like 10 years or so. Like mm -hmm. there wasn't a lot of options back then, right? No. It was like <laughs> tofu that was like banana flavored or strawberry flavored. Like that was your dessert. That was pretty yeah. much what you had. There wasn't a lot. It took me two years to figure out that Oreos were vegan. And I was so excited. I was like, like yeah, oh yes, I get to have like sugar. <laughs> So when I when I first transitioned, again, like coming from the farming background, coming from the bodybuilding world, I had no knowledge. So all I knew was fruits and veggies and nuts. So that's literally what I was eating until I saw forks over a knife. And I was like, mm. oh, quinoa. That's interesting. What <laughs> Pharaoh. Oh, potatoes. Oh, yeah. potatoes make sense. And so I kind of started start to discover a bit more foods and I saw how they were cooking. And I was like, oh, I can eat these things, too, because I was so scared to, like, not stick to it that I just wasn't eating a lot of things that I wasn't mm. certain about. So it kind of expanded my mind as to what I could eat. And then I started to get like a bit more calories in too, which, you know, made me feel a little bit better. And it started to become and have a better experience with veganism versus at first where it was like a harsh detox. Um, I wasn't eating a lot. So I was really low in energy. So it was kind of fulfilling all the myth that I had read about when you go vegan, like you feel weak and blah, blah, blah. But mm -hmm. I just realized that I just wasn't consuming enough food ultimately. Yeah, I think we should go into a couple of these myths. I have a like a Facebook group that I used to manage a lot better, but people would come in there. It was called Plant Powered Academy. It still is. But people would come in there and say, I changed my diet, but I don't feel good. And I thought that I was supposed to have more energy. So one myth yeah. that you just pointed out was not eating enough. So how much are people supposed to eat? Because there's like, you should eat enough, but a lot of people don't know what is enough. Yeah, for sure. Well, I think a lot of people's hunger system is really skewed with the type of processed food that they've been consuming. And so what I tell people is just, you know, grab a random cal calorie calculator, or just to get you an average of where you should be. 
and just track your food for a few days and trying to hit those numbers so you get an idea of the sensation because i think most people that will transition to eating plant-based have some form of like weight loss goal or just one type of like wanting to look a certain way which naturally the mindset is like eat less food but when you eat less food your stomach gets adjusted to eating less food so it's smaller so when you eat more you're like oh i'm stuffed but you're still severely under eating it's just your stomach is really small we need to stretch it back out so say so just grab an average calorie track for a few days just so you have an idea of how much you're actually supposed to eat and trying to base it off of that after versus gut instinct because it's probably really skewed when you first transition yeah and especially for athletes i mean you need to eat a lot more than you think and yes. <laughs> and also um you know i'd be remiss not to talk about protein because still even after all the information out there that still is a concern for many people but i think one of the problems with protein is that people think i need more and more and more and as a bodybuilder you know a lot about protein how much protein do people actually need yeah, well, if, if typically when I train athletes, I'll just be around the 1.2 gram to 2 gram per kg of body weight range, which is a lot less than what most people think. Like when I was bodybuilding, my coach was like 1.5 grams to 2 grams per pound of body weight. I was 240 pounds. That's like 400 to 500 grams of protein a day. It was abusive and I just yeah. didn't feel great. Yeah. So when we transitioned to kind of those new numbers, which again are backed in uh, a little plug to, to Robert because I appreciate him. It's in his book, The Plant-Based Athlete, right? Mm -hmm. um, that's kind of the range that they give as well. We've seen amazing transformation, amazing results for members when it came to athletes and body composition. Again, for people that just want to be healthy, like you don't really need to worry that much about it, right? If you're just looking to be healthy and you don't care about your body composition, you'll get enough protein just by eating whole food plant-based and making sure you're consuming enough food. What are some of the other myths or questions that people will often come to you with in your membership platform? Uh, incomplete protein conversation. Right, like, do I need to combine beans and rice together to make sure the complete protein? So, again, simplest way to explain it is you have a, a pool of amino acid inside your body. So, when you consume some food and is running, there's missing amino acids. Your body will just pull it from there, make it complete, and absorb it. Like, your body's pretty smart; it's been able to survive all this time. Like, if you're an adult, you've lived a really long time. Your body's pretty efficient. So, it's the same thing. As long as you have a variety of food, that pool will kind of refill itself. It'll grab whatever it needs from it ultimately. So, you don't need to worry about like having rice and beans in the exact same meal, or else like it's all screwed. You didn't get any protein for that meal. Soy is another big one. The big oh, fear yeah. of soy, how it's like promotes estrogen in men, how it's cancer causing. Actually, the opposite, right? Yeah. It actually helps to kind of balance hormone. It helps to like, it helps with bone density. It helps with uh, breast cancer prevention. It helps with prostate cancer prevention. So those are the two biggest ones when it comes to protein that I hear often. Yeah, and with soy products, they're often fortified with calcium as well because people worry like, well, I'm not drinking milk, so you know, cow's milk, so I'm not getting calcium, but that's also fortified. Yes. And also that, you know, from the dairy, right? It leaches actually the calcium from the bone. So it actually makes the bone weaker. But, you know, if you're consuming like tofu, tempeh, so nacho, edamame, beans, lentils, like you're, you're fine on the protein side. And from a coaching perspective, um, I'm also a health and wellness coach. And one of the things that people will come to me with is, well, I don't want to spend time cooking. It's too hard or, or just it's too hard, period. What, what do you often provide or what advice you provide for people? Unless you have a massive budget where you can get someone to come and cook your food at your house, you need to kind of reprioritize your time a little bit. At the end of the day, you're going to have to eat food for the rest of your life, right? So you might as well put food that actually serves you. So unless you have the funds to get someone to come to your house and cook your food for you, you will actually have to cook your food yourself. 
And there's a, you know, there's a learning curve, just like anything else, right? When you start to become an athlete, when you start a new job, when you're a new mom, there's a learning curve, there's an adaptation curve that comes with it. It's the same thing here. But once you learn the skill and you learn to kind of meal prep efficiently, kind of structure your food efficiently, then it becomes second nature, right? If you and I cook a meal right now, we're not even thinking twice. We can talk on the phone, do the dishes at the same time, cook a meal, and we know it's going to be a good meal. We don't have to think about it because we've been at it for a long time. But for most people that are new, they just need to go through that initial learning curve. It's just like taking a crash course when you go to school. Ultimately, it's definitely a worthy, worthy learning opportunity. Yeah. And how can you approach that with curiosity? Like I have a three and a one year old and they're so excited about the foods and what's happening. And we lose that spark, especially for new things. And we worry about not doing it right. Yeah. Well, first of all, getting guidance is a huge, makes a huge difference because I was like the analogy of like repairing your car. Like, you know, I can go on YouTube and figure out how to fix my motor for my car. Right. I'll probably figure out some videos. Do I feel confident that it's safe for me to drive the car after? Eh, not so much. Do I feel confident while I'm doing it? Not so much. I'd rather go to a mechanic. Right. So same thing here. There's people that are experts in this field that can help you just to make sure it's efficient and you have that confidence that what you're doing is actually the right thing and it removes that stress, removes that doubt, and it makes it a much better experience and it makes it more efficient for you versus having to try to figure out everything on your own. You know, I, I, I put it this way. I'm a very lazy person. Um, I'm not because I, I do all these things, but in in a way that I love efficiency. So if someone knows how to do it, why do I need to figure it out? I'm just going to ask the person who knows how to do it. I'm just going to hire the person that knows how to do it. Then they're going to tell me and it just saved me like months or years of time to do the thing. Right. So I, I just like to ask for help when someone knows how to do it better than I do so that I can do it efficiently and I can just move on to, to the next thing. Something that you said earlier was around the myth of cooking is you said, look, people need to prioritize this. You got to shift your priorities. And this mm -hmm. is something that's really interesting in the health and wellness space is because a lot of us want to feel a certain way or we want to do a certain thing. But the first thing to go when we get busy are our sleep, cooking yeah. and eating healthily, taking time for ourselves. So it's one thing to say, look, you need to prioritize this. But how do people actually prioritize it, especially when they're super busy? Yeah. So two ways. So it's funny because usually people that are busy are the ones that are most efficient, the most compliant, what I found, the ones that have a lot of free times, wow, they're going to push that stuff off like <laughs> another day, another week. So usually busy people are a bit more efficient, but it typically I, I, I live by my schedule. If it's my schedule, I do it. If it's not, I don't do it. Right. When it's date night, it's date night. When it's cooking time, it's cooking time. When it's workout time, it's workout time. Nothing gets booked over it. So it's more about like, I tell people, look at your week, book your non-negotiables in there. Right. So if you have a nine to five job, nine to five job, you can't get away from it. Put it in there. Right. Date nights with your partner times with your kids, cooking time, workout time, you'll find that there's still a lot of spots available within your calendar, even after you put all of these things. It's just if we don't proactively create a schedule for ourselves, we're going to be scrolling on our phone and TikTok for an hour. And you're like, oh, damn, I, I, I don't have time anymore to cook, right? Let me just order food out. Well, you could have not scrolled on TikTok, right? If you would have like a bigger schedule, you would be able to kind of plan that for yourself. So ultimately, we plan for the things that are important in our life. When it's your anniversary with your partner, you schedule a time off because it's important. Same thing with your training, same thing with nutrition. I find all humans have this internal list of priorities in our head. So it could be like, you know, Netflix, work, you know, partner, working out, cooking food, right? But when you look at people like yourself and myself or other people that are successful in this space and being able to be healthy, be active, run businesses and kind of have family and do all of these things, Versus someone else, they have 24 hours in a day, they have access to some similar resources when it comes to action taking. The only difference is we have a different 
order list to those values that we have internally, those different lists of priorities. And it's funny, but well, it's not funny, but like just say you get diagnosed with cancer today and you, the doctor's like, hey, you have to eat healthy food and you have to exercise to save your life or else you're going to die in the next year. Well, guess what? That list of values changes drastically, right? Training nutrition goes to the top. It's way before Netflix. It's way before work. It's way before your partner, right? So nothing else changed besides you made the choice to kind of change that order, right? So it's just about sitting down and being honest with yourself of like, what's my actual list of priority? Like, what do I value most? Do I value spending time with my partner more, scrolling on my phone, watching Netflix, working, screwing around, right? Whatever it may be. And kind of like make a list of what you would want to be and then trying to start to stick with that. Yeah. Something that I wish was different is that for most people, pain is the greatest motivator. But if you wait until you have a major health event, then that's going to be too late for some people. And that's very frustrating and, and sad. So, you know, how can people change without using pain as the number one motivator? I don't think they can, but here's mm -hmm. the way around it, right? If, if a, a, an appealing future would be attracting enough, we would all be super successful because the world is really good at promoting all these shiny things to pull us forward, which mm -hmm. only they don't, right? So it's typically it's running away from something. There's a there's a pain there. So there's a process called you familiar with who Tony Robbins is, mm -hmm. right? So big fan of his work. I work with his team and studying under him and some of these things. There's a process called the Dickens process, where I get some of my members and I do calls with them and just close your eyes, imagine the current habits and how you're living your life and the decisions that you're having. Typically, we do it with like a limiting belief or a value system that potentially is not serving us. So you have a limiting belief that well, I can't cook food and be fit is just not for me. I'm like, okay, well, let's just sit with this. Let's imagine what your life is like in one year from now, like really feel what it's like if you were to have this belief system for the next year, how would your body be? How would your mindset be? How would your life be? Let's go to five years, let's go to 10 years, let's go to 15 years. And we kind of push it up to like 30, 40 years. How would your life be like really feel the emotions of how it feels? And people are like, man, I'd be fat. I'd be miserable. I'd be depressed. My, my partner probably would have left me. And then you start to like, again, your brain doesn't know the difference between reality and what you're you know, processing in your head, right? So you start to feel those emotions and it's like, hey, cool, let's just come back to right now. So just realize none of this has happened yet, but this is only a glimpse of what's possible for you in the future. So like now, what is a different set of rules that you could live by that would cause you to not have this future? And then we redo the exercise. We push to have a more appealing future, right? So we're just, we're just imprinting in your nervous system the new pattern, basically. I usually that exercise works really well. That's that's funny. I didn't know the name of it. Um, I did this. Yeah, I mentioned the health and wellness coaching. I did a program at Vanderbilt and we have a visioning exercise as part of coaching. And there's a default future, which is what you just talked about, and then an optimal future. So that's exactly what that is. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> yeah, you're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. So something that I did want to point out was that you mentioned you and I and and you know, people who are wellness focused will have their list of priorities will have more weight on the things that are going to help you thrive. But I want to point out that it's not always easy to do that. Like sometimes there is frustration around meal prep and running out of time, or I want to watch more Netflix and I don't want to go to bed because it's fun to watch multiple episodes of Ted Lasso or whatever. For sure. So <laughs> I think it's important to point out that just because those are your priorities, it doesn't mean that it's always going to be easy and that's okay too. Yeah, absolutely. And again, it's making it how to put this. People will say that like, well, they'll call us discipline, right? I make it easy for myself to be disciplined. So again, Netflix at night, trying to go to bed, but you're like, ah, it's so good. I just want to watch another episode. Yeah. 
I bought a Christmas light timer uh-huh. and I plug my TV in it for it to shut That's off awesome. at 9 p.m. That way I don't have to touch the remote. The TV just shuts off. And then like if I want to continue watching, I got to be all weird and go and unplug it because I put the system in place for myself and I'm like destroying it. So it just feels weird. So just like, again, making it easy for you to be disciplined, right? Putting those little systems in place. So, you know, having your groceries delivered on Wednesday, for example, if that's when you want a meal prep, having your meal prep containers out just so that you see them, just to make it that process easier versus having to kind of do everything from scratch every time. That is such a great hack, the Christmas light timer. <laughs> I haven't heard that one before. I might have to implement that because yeah, it's like, my husband, are you going to turn it off or am I going to turn it off? And then it's a lot of yeah. effort to turn it off or if it just shuts it's off It's like the remote's <laughs> so far, right? Like, ah, yeah. it's a next one, next one. Some people well, plug their Wi-Fi router on that, right? <laughs> some people plug their Wi-Fi router so the oh, whole yeah. Wi-Fi goes out in the house. What are some other things that you do to try to force function uh, your wellness? <laughs> so I make my routines very simple. Because a lot of times as humans, we like to add complexity to things. And then when it's too complex, we don't have to take action on it because we can justify that it's complex. So to me, I do something called deep work every morning for three hours where it's uninterrupted work, no cell phone, no team members, no emails, nothing. So let you, when I wake up, I wake up, I go to the bathroom, I take a cold shower, I get dressed and I sit in this chair. And I pre-wrote what I'm going to do the night before. So I know exactly what task I'm going to do for 30 minute chunk for the next three hours. I don't have to think of anything. I was like, oh, this is what I'm working on. And the night before I'll plan, okay, record 10 reels. What's the topic of each reel? What am I going to talk about? So when I start, I don't have to figure out anything. It's just super easy. Oh, this is what I'm talking about. Great. And I just start talking. So I, that, that's one of the things, scheduling lunches break on here. Again, meal prepping my food. So when it's time to lunch break, I don't have to cook anything because when I'm in busy between calls, I don't want to have time to cook. I just grab my meal, I warm it up and then I eat it and it's game over. Right. So it's doing those little things like the meal prep, the timer for the TV. When it's time to go to the gym, I have a hard time disconnecting from work. I run four so companies right now. So there's a <laughs> lot of employees. So at like at like 4:30, it's like I'm at the gym, right? And on my Slack, it changes to I'm at the gym. So people know no one can reach me after that. Shutting off your phone, airplane mode at 7 p.m. Right. After I call my parents because they're on the east side, they're three hours ahead. Turn off the phone. Done. I can't be scrolling on anything ultimately. I admire your ability to hold some of those boundaries. I, I really struggle to disconnect from work myself and I'll have my training on the schedule. And then it's like, oh, I'll just do this one more thing. And then it cuts into my training every single time. So that's something that I'm working on. <laughs> yeah. And like I said, by all means, is it not perfect? But as long as I stick the majority of the time, I get the outcome yeah. that I want. Like I came home at midnight last night because we had a family dinner in, in downtown LA. So we came home, it was midnight. So yeah. rough night of sleep last night. So I you know, slept a little bit in and kind of readjusted things. But as mm -hmm. long as it's the way that we want to the majority of the time, we went. What does your meal prep look like? Yeah, so honestly, honestly, I just do a big smoothie in the morning. You know, so I'll do like some, some nut butter, a bunch of like dark leafy greens in there, a little bit of protein powder, bananas, berries. I'll kind of vary the fruits that are in there. Some unsweet almond milk in there, chia seeds, flax seeds. And I'll make like a big one. Sometimes I'll add oats. Because I'm bulking, so I have a lot of calories to eat. So I'll make like a really thick smoothie. For lunches, typically it'll be like a full block of tofu, some form of like carbs, potatoes, or rice, a bunch of, of mixed veggies and some nutritional yeast. And then for dinner, it's whatever we want to eat. Ultimately, I like I like structure up to a certain extent. If I have my meals for dinner prep, I don't want to eat it ever. And I just know that about myself. So I'd just rather have the flexibility to cook whatever I want for dinners. Mm -hmm. Right. I've, you know, you know yourself after a while, you've been doing this for a while. It's like, I just can't have a meal prep for dinner. I have to cook it from scratch or we just go out to try a restaurant because Ellie's great for Oh, it's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so how many calories are you trying to eat right now? 
I'm at 3,400 right now. Yeah. Nice. I have a hard time eating a lot of food. This whole year of balking, I've been struggling so much. I am great at not eating. I actually have to force myself to like eat food because I'm not training as an athlete anymore. Like I have my bike there, but I don't train for Ironman anymore. Mm-hmm. So it's really hard to like eat all the food and have the hunger for it. So I actually have to like force myself to eat it. Yeah. Um, as a, like a mom, like I was, I'm still breastfeeding my daughter, but it's only twice a day now, but with both of my kids, I was training and trying to breastfeed and I have to eat 4,000 calories a day to maintain my weight, which sounds crazy. And yeah. it was so hard. And I was actually looking at what bodybuilders eat so that I could maintain my, my calories. Yeah. You just oatmeal, like calorie dense foods, like nut butters, nuts and seeds. And yeah, I'm just, I've never had big of a hunger. I'm way better at cutting than I am at bulking for sure. Mm-hmm. So y- your goal is to help 10,000 vegans get in the best shape of their lives. So what are some of the main reasons that people come to work with you? Yeah. So I'd say the the typical reason that people come to work with us is they're looking to be healthier and they've just been struggling with their weight for their whole life. They've just been yo-yo dieting for like 10, 20, 30, 40 years, right? Majority of people we work with are between 40 and 80 years old, right? And it's, it's just typically there's more of an awareness of health when you're 20 and 30s. You're like, I'm invincible. I can do anything. Yeah. And then it catches up to you and you're like, oh shit, my back hurts. My joints hurt. I need to take care yeah. of myself. My neck. So. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. So most people we work with, honestly, it's like they have, uh, you know, celiac, Crohn's, PCOS, hypothyroidism, they're recovering from cancer, they're just going through all these like health challenges, or, you know, they've had some crazy surgeries, or they have like limitations for for their exercise. Or again, like I mentioned, years of yo-yo dieting, and they're just like done with it. So our whole thing is to make this last program that people ever need to do. So we structured the whole journey to like set them up for that, ultimately. Um, so that's the big emphasis. I do the non, and I know similar to you, like you have a good heart. Most people that will do fat loss is like, let's just slash your calories and do over exercise. You'll lose some weight. And then you're just starving, put away back on. So I'm just trying to like set people up so that they don't have to come back after. I tell people there's two goals. There's a need goal and there's a one goal. The need goal is like, I really need to lose 30 pounds. So like be healthy and feel good. And once we get you there and we kind of speed up your metabolism after you're in a better position. Then it's the one goal. And then they want to do like a 10K race, a 5K, they want to run a half Ironman or whatever maybe. I'm like, that's the fun goal, right? Let's take mm-hmm. care of the need first and then let's do the fun goal after. Mm-hmm. You mentioned you run four companies. Can you tell me about those? Yeah, of course. So all of them are in the vegan fitness coaching space. Mm-hmm. So like I mentioned with when my ex-partner passed away, I wanted to help as many people as possible not be in her position ultimately because hers and my grandfather were lifestyle created. They were not genetic. So it was just like, overstressed lifestyle, eating like shit, not taking care of themselves, that kind of led that environment to, to have cancer. So I realized like whole food plant-based, eating plant-based is one of the best ways to reduce the risk of chronic illnesses and reverse in some cases. And then having a fit and healthy body is one of the best ways to have longevity and feel good. Like, let me just put those two things together and help people with that. So what I did is selfishly, I'll get someone to lose the weight, but selfishly, I'm disease-proofing their body, which is my whole point every time I work with someone. Like, that's the whole outcome that I get. So selfishly, I get that because I know that I've disease-proofed someone's body, right? I say there's no guarantees in life. It's just like a seatbelt. If you have it on, less likely to die in a car crash, right? That's what whole food plant-based is, ultimately. So I realized that some people will connect with me because the way that I talk and the way that my body looks, and some people won't. Some people will want to be more jack, right? Some people will connect with a different type of mindset or different way of speaking. So I realized a lot of my skill is in business and scalability. 
And so I realized that I'm really good at it. So after I built Fit Vegan quite successfully over the past several years, and we've coached yet over 650 plus people at this point, I started going to other people that had coaching businesses that are great at creating content that have a passion for helping, but that just don't have a business background. And so I was like, hey, let's partner up. I'll build the whole thing for you so that we can scale it and grow it. If you help 100 people, that counts towards my 10,000 people because I build all of your system to change their lives. So currently I have four practices, mm -hmm. one that I run as the face and four that I'm more behind the scenes, kind of making sure that everything runs smoothly. We can have uh, more impact and we're continuing. To, we're about starting about a new one every month, a new like business partner every month. And the goal is to try to get to like 10, 15 of them so that we can just like exponentially have more impact and get to our goal a lot faster. Yeah, that's a really powerful vision and way to do it. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, it's a lot of work, but it's fun, right? It's really rewarding because there's people that look at me and are like, he's too skinny because I have an athletic background. I don't want to work out. I work with him. He's vegan and he's skinny. I have another guy. He's like super buff and vegan. I have someone that's a, like a pro bodybuilder. So I'm just like, like, oh, this person looks right. I want to work with them. I'm like, awesome. That's okay with me. Like I still get to, you know, impact your life directly. I actually wanted to ask you about whenever you sort of change it's almost a shift in identity, right? Like you were a super muscly, like big bodybuilder guy. And then you said, I immediately switched to not doing any more weight training, doing cardio, like trying to get as skinny as possible for modeling. That's yeah. such a huge shift in identity. Like how did that land with you when you were doing that? Yeah, that's such a great question that only an athlete would ask because no one's ever asked me that question. Oh. <laughs> but it was a huge, it was a huge process because yeah, my identity was built up around being the big muscular guy. I was tied up around it. And then when I got skinny, I just reverted back to what I had feared previously, right? I grew up skinny fat. I was bullied. And so I was like, oh man, I'm kind of like going back to that ultimately. Mm -hmm. And so that's what forced me to work on my personality, which you see now on the screen, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> I, I wasn't like, I was very cold and timid and shy when I was really big. But then I was like, man, I need to develop a personality because now I, I don't have this muscle to protect me. And mm -hmm. so ultimately it forced me to develop myself further. So it was a blessing uh, at the same time. I'm really happy that I did it because I feel so much better, but ultimately allowed me to get into self-development and become who I am today. Yeah. And it sounds like you do a lot of different sports. Like you've done Ironman, you've done Spartan. And it sounds like now you're, are you doing a, a competition, like a fitness competition or a bodybuilding competition right now? Not nah, right now. I'm just having fun with it. Honestly, uh, so I, I've done every single transformation you can think of. Uh -huh. I, I, I've competed on all levels and I'm just like having fun with it now. I just, I don't care if I have a six pack anymore. I don't need to be jacked. I don't need to have the most endurance. I'm just so focused on the impact and the mission. Mm -hmm. And that takes a lot of time. So I'm just keeping myself healthy, focusing on vitality and just having a mobile body that doesn't hurt because I'm really tall. So joints, you know, are, are a thing after doing years of power lifting. I'm trying to like better take care of my body now. Yeah. And I was actually wondering, you know, we're all on a, a state of becoming and you've, you've been on a huge journey physically, mentally, emotionally. Mm -hmm. Like, what are you becoming right now? I'm trying to become the person that will be able to impact a million plus lives. That's uh -huh. what I'm focusing on. So how can I better serve the world with the current mission that I have? Mm -hmm. And so that's, you know, that's showing up in very interesting ways. We used to only work with vegans and now we don't. We opened up to people that wants to eat more plant-based or transition to eating plant-based because I mm -hmm. realized, well, I don't need, I don't need more people to eat. I don't need more vegans to be vegan. I need more people to eat plant-based. I'm like, it just makes sense to kind of open it up. And so right now it's opening up in beautiful ways, partnerships with nonprofits, you know, partnering up with families that are 
currently struggling with cancer and like helping them with their grocery bills and kind of funding some of their treatments. So yeah, just letting letting it take me. But that's the bigger vision is like, how do I impact people to that extent? Yeah, and it, it sounds like these are all really amazing external goals and external things that, that you are in a state of becoming. But how about internally? Like what type of work are you doing right now? Yeah, I'm trying to stay peaceful throughout the whole process. That's internal work that I'm doing because mm. there's a lot of stress and, you know, having been a caregiver and now that being a part of who I am, we mm-hmm. tend to take on the stress from other people. We tend to take on the weight of the world. And so on my side, I'm learning to try to not do that, right? Or to like take it on for a bit and be able to let it go because I suck at letting it go, mm-hmm. right? Because I care so much about the people that I'm trying to help. And it's just like, people are suffering and I want to help as much as possible. So it's it's a state of stress. So I'm working on trying to stay peaceful without it and learning to kind of just let it flow over me as I serve people. Yeah, that's when you're an empathetic person, that's really hard to do to build that boundary. It, yeah, it is. It is. And taking time for yourself to relax and rest, you know, five years of being a caregiver, I never got a break. Cause it's 24 seven thing. Mm-hmm. And someone's like, you need to just go like take time for yourself. I mean, dude, what, that, what does that look like? Like I work out, that's time for myself. Like I can get a massage. And I just realized that all of these things never filled my cup. Ultimately, it took mm-hmm. me two years to refill my cup after. And I just realized that it was just time with people that I love, time alone without social media, anything distracting me and just being present is actually what refilled my cup way more than working out or getting a massage or doing any of these things. Yeah. And I'm sure that took time to figure that out. Cause I think a lot of times we are doing grasping, trying to feel a certain way, but we never get there. And ultimately the hardest thing is to be in the present moment and not thinking about the future or planning or ruminating on the past. Yeah. We think that filling up the cup is an act of doing, and sometimes it's just the act of being that fills mm-hmm. it up more. So how do you manage your time? Because I saw you have two podcasts, which I know how much work <laughs> one podcast takes. You have these yeah. four businesses and growing, you know, you're, you have your own health and wellness priorities. How do you make sure that you don't overwork? Cause when you, when you're passionate about your work, it's really hard to stop yourself. Yeah. I have an amazing team. Ultimately. Um, I just realized that I couldn't do it all by myself. Mm-hmm. So I have three coaches that work for me. We have four actually across all the companies. I have a full-time graphic designer and video editor that edits all my podcasts, all my content. And I have someone to post my content for me. So we probably have content being posted right now while we're on this show. So I just hired people to help me do the things that were not the best use of my time, mm-hmm. ultimately, so that I can focus on these conversations, so that I can focus on spending dinners with my fiance, so I can focus on when I'm on the phone with my parents and kind of doing those other activities that can bring the bigger vision forward a lot more than just a small nitty gritty things. And at first it's hard, right? Because when you're a business, you're giving up some revenue to kind of have that time back and you want to use that time back efficiently. But I got to a point where I was like, man, me hiring someone to do this thing, to just take the time to do nothing is way more valuable than paying this person to do the task, right? Mm -hmm. Like time off is awesome. So putting an amazing team in place ultimately, because I wouldn't be able to do it all by myself for sure. Yeah, I think the discussion around scaling and whether you own a business or not, just scaling in your life and exporting responsibility in some cases to other people where you can pay them to do it so that if you have the means to do so, so that you can focus on things that truly matter to you. But I think people have guilt around paying, you know, paying someone to clean your house, for example, or, you know, paying someone to come work on your bike. But there is a value that's more than just money that you get from that. Yeah, it's the time exchange that you get back, right? And it, took me a long time to figure out like the value of my time 
And as we kind of grow and I've, I've associated monetary value to it. And so if anything is below that, I outsource it mm -hmm. versus if I need to do it. Uh, but that's helped a lot ultimately. But yeah, at first it is like the, the guilt of like, ah, well, I, I'm like just sitting here. I should clean my house. I shouldn't pay someone. I'm just being lazy right now. Mm -hmm. But it's the compounding of everything. Like that stress of like, well, let me just clean my house this time and then continue with all my other tasks. And then two weeks after you're just burnt out mm -hmm. and it's just not worth it ultimately. On your website, I noticed that you had, I think it was six different pillars that you work with people. Um, and I saw one of them said money mindset. So I wanted to ask you about that. Like, what is that? Yeah, for sure. So one of the businesses we started is with a good friend of mine who is just a wizard at finance, financially free, dude in the rest of working out of day in his life out of San Francisco, did really well for himself through obviously increasing his earning capacity and through his investments. And so he is, oh, Justin, he's turned 41, I think. He's turned 41. And we built, he wanted to have a coaching practice in the vegan space, but he wanted to have something that we wish we had when we were younger. No one taught us about how to manage money. No one taught us how to increase our earning capacity, you know, how to increase our savings rate, how to put ourselves in a better financial position. Because what's the biggest stressor for the majority of people is finances, right? School doesn't teach you these things. So we want to create a program like how do we get people fit and get a handle on their money so they're in a good position? Because everyone thinks that like, if you earn more money, like you'll be safe. There's so many celebrities that made like hundreds of millions of dollars that went broke. It's not about how much, right? It's about how much you keep. It's an emotional conversation. It's a strategy conversation. And so we created a program that I wish I had when I was younger and that he wish he had when he was younger. And so ultimately I've done quite well in my life. He's done quite well in his life as well. So we're teaching people to kind of like end up in our position, but without making all the stupid mistakes that we did ultimately. Yeah. And I know I'm off topic a little bit, but around money, you know, there's people that have lots and lots and lots of money, but it still never feels safe. So it's not even necessarily yeah. about having a huge number, but it's about feeling good with what you have. And you could, you could actually extrapolate that into achievement or, you know, what is enough period in your life? What's enough money? What's enough accomplishments? What's enough, whatever, so that you can feel quote safe. Yeah, it's the idea of contentment, right? Like, mm -hmm. when are you going to be content? And for sure, right? I know a lot of people that are in my circle that are financially free. They never need to work another day in their life. So they're financially free, but they're not mentally free. They're still mm -hmm. mentally tied to it. There's still there's still scarcity. There's still like, if I spend this money, I'm like, dude, you could spend an absurd amount of money per day and be fine for the rest of your life. You'd be okay. But the extra tip at the restaurant or buying the expend the more expensive toilet paper or whatever. It's like, ah, I'll save the three bucks, you know? <laughs> so, you know, it's a mentally free and financially free is a very different position to be in, but you're right. The idea of contentment, especially when it comes to like sports, right? I'll be honest when I was doing when I was doing my races, it was purely out of escapism, right? Mm -hmm. It was a fun sport. I loved it. Triathlon is a beautiful sport to me. My, my ex-partner was going through cancer. I don't drink. I don't do drugs. That was my alcohol. That was my drug. That's how I numbed myself to be able to get me through the whole thing. And so a lot of people, not only in the endurance world, but in the fitness space of any form, will use exercise as a coping mechanism, which again, helps you in alcohol and drugs, if you ask me, but still, you're still mm -hmm. running away from the problem. So that's like a, a whole other conversation. Yeah, it is. And I, I mean, I, I don't think it even has to be either or. And I definitely got into endurance sports to run away. I started as a runner at the end of high school to deal with anxiety. And I just remember like just going on flogging myself because I was the only way because I, I, I didn't drink in, in high school or anything like that. Like, how do I deal with life's challenges? And it was just to go do that because that would make everything else go away. And over time, that, that evolved for me. And even, you know, in my early days as a pro, it was like doing it 
in a deprivation sense of I have to prove myself. And over time, yeah. your relationship with with your goals and things change. And um, mm. and having the awareness around that, like good for you, having the awareness around that and coming to a place where you feel better with the type of movement that you're doing. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. It took a long time though. Once I started doing Ironman and racing, I realized that it was me bodybuilding all over again. I was like, man, mm. my identity is wrapped up into being this guy now. Mm-hmm. I need to detach myself from it. And so there was a time I was just like, I'm going to focus on being even more of a caregiver in business because I need to pay for cancer treatments. And I'm going to step away from racing for a bit. Mm-hmm. And I've never gone back since then, ultimately. And people ask me, I have no desire to go back to racing. I don't have no desire to train 20 hours a week, 30 hours a week anymore. I just, mm-hmm. yeah, it's just, it's out of my system. I have nothing to run away from. So I just don't have no desires to do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, it sounds like now a big part of your identity and purpose is outside of yourself. It's helping a lot of people disease proof themselves and feel better, healthier and happier in their lives. And, you know, someone could say, well, that's the same thing as bodybuilding or Ironman, but it sounds like this is something way bigger than that way. It's way more outside of yourself. Absolutely. It's well, it's not even about me anymore. Right. It's mm-hmm. like, I just genuinely don't want people to have to go through that pain. People don't know how painful it is until they go through it or if they've seen it firsthand 24-7 for like five years, right? Your mm-hmm. your uncle has cancer. Like, it's different. You're not living with them, supporting them the mm-hmm. whole way through. So I just don't want people to have to go through that ultimately. And and again, me erasing only served me. So now the switch is that I'm trying to serve other people versus just trying to take care of me because I found a way to take care of me throughout the whole process. So I'm going to switch gears here to talk about some of the vegan fads out there you know, there's like eat raw or, you know, only eat fruit or do fasting or there's like a thousand different things out there. Like, what are your thoughts on some of these fads? Yeah. Well, I think that a lot of the fads are centered around people wanting to lose weight ultimately. Mm -hmm. Right. I think that's why they're so popular in the media. And I think people are trying to look for the path of least resistance when it comes to like, oh, I just need to follow this clear cut rule and like everything will be solved and drained. I will just do that versus trying to look at all these other factors, right? So people mm-hmm. are looking for the easiest solution to trying to solve their problem. And so like, yeah, if you intermittent fast and you severely eat over your calories, you're still going to put on weight, right? I guess if you go raw vegan and you severely over your calories, you're still going to put on weight, right? There's like core fundamentals that are there. You need to be in a calorie deficit, you need to have, you know, enough micronutrients, you need to have a certain amount of protein. If you're trying to improve your body composition, like those are the three things you need to worry about to keep it simple. If you do intermittent fasting with it, raw vegan, raw till four, paleo, 80, 10, 10, whatever it may be, if you stick within those guidelines, it'll all work. So to me, I'm looking at like, how, what is the most sustainable way for me to eat? Well, if I'm just raw, there's a lot of limitations to that. Socially, it's hard. Family gathering is our birthday. I just want to enjoy my life. Raw till four, same thing. There's limitation. So I was like, if you eat whole food plant-based, you eat a mixture of raw food and cooked foods, you can eat anywhere, anytime, any event, you can stay on track, you can be healthy, you can disease-proof your body. So to me, that's why it's the most holistic way to kind of get there because there's the least amount of restrictions on it. Yeah. And it's more, like you said, sustainable. And something that you said there is, I want to enjoy my life. I think that a lot of people think, going back to the myths, that if they change their diet to plant-based or to vegan... They're never mm-hmm. going to enjoy their life or their food again. And it's just not worth it. They don't know how good life can be <laughs> until they are like healthy and vital. And they're like, damn, this is so much better than yeah. eating a burger or that bag of chip. Yeah, that's why like people always like joke about vegans being, you know, so excited and telling everybody about it. But when you feel that good, you want everybody else to feel that good, too. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And it's 
yeah, it's just a different level of energy. And sometimes it's like, man, when I transitioned, I had a hard time dealing with how much energy I had. Mm-hmm. I was like, I have too much. I don't, I'm not drinking coffee. I don't know how to deal with this. This is too much. And eventually you get used to it and it's fun, but yeah, it's a, it's a pretty significant amount of energy difference when you do it properly. Uh-huh. So you said eating extra protein to improve body composition. I think that mm-hmm. my ears you know, pricked up when I heard that and I'm sure other people were as well. So like, what do you mean by that? Yeah. So like I said, you can eat a low amount of protein and be healthy and live for a very long time. There's nothing wrong with that. It's just if your specific goal is to improve your body composition, we do need to have a little bit more protein. Like I mentioned earlier, 1.2 gram to 2 gram per kg of body weight. So again, protein is amino acids. We need amino acids because they're building blocks to kind of help you repair the muscle. Ultimately, that's the only reason it's not even the protein. It's the amino acid that are in the protein that are important to us. So without having sufficient amount of that, when you're tearing those muscle fibers, you don't have enough building blocks. It's kind of like you're trying to build a house and you're running out of bricks, right? It's going to be hard to build a house. So same thing. Your amino acids are those building blocks. You want to make sure you get sufficient amount to kind of repair what you're doing with your exercise. Because if you're not exercising versus if you are exercising, logically, there's a bigger requirement because there's a bigger energy output. You're basically beating up your body a little bit more, if you want to put it that way. So you need a little bit more help to help support it. What are your thoughts on some of the more processed foods to get more protein? Like if you want to drink like a protein shake or have like, I don't know, the the very good butchers, you know, sausages or things like that. Yeah. So, so two aspects to that. So first of all is enjoying yourself, right? So there's nothing wrong from a Beyond Burger from time to time. You're having a barbecue with some friends. It's fine. Have a Beyond Burger, but you don't want to have that every, you don't have a fake protein product every meal because you want to hit your protein. You don't need to. There's a lot healthier sources of protein that will have more fiber, more polyphenol, more vitamins, more nutrients, and all that. Right. So from time to time, it's fine. Because again, you want to live, you want to be able to enjoy your life. That's one part. And so the other part in terms of protein powder. So I do use protein powder. I'm always upfront about that. Because as an athlete, you want to eat a certain amount of calories, you want to hit a certain amount of protein. In the vegan space, in terms of calorie cost per gram of protein, it is one of the best ones. It is handy. But again, you don't base your protein requirement on fulfilling everything with protein powder. For people that have a harder time with protein powder, I always recommend them to use hemp protein powder. So you're going to work in the hemp space for a long time. So you have hemp seeds, right? Everyone's familiar with hemp seeds. If you cold press them, there's oil that comes out. That's hemp oil. The meal that is left over from having crushed the hemp seeds, that's hemp protein, basically. That's basically what it is. So it's the least amount of processed protein that you'll ever get. It's literally just crushed hemp seeds. So they don't they don't heat it up. They don't kill the enzymes. There's still fiber. There's still a lot of the nutrients that are in there. You still you still get a lot of the benefits. Um, that's the least processed form of hemp pro- of protein that you would get ultimately. Can you just eat the hemp seeds by themselves instead of the powder? You can, but it depends again what you're trying to accomplish in terms of an outcome. If your calories are lower, you need to get a little bit more protein. Hemp seeds are mm. pretty high in fat. If you're trying to get 30 grams of protein from hemp, you'll get a significant amount of calories from it versus if you just grab hemp protein. Gotcha. What are some of your favorite protein sources from food? Yeah. Tofu, tempeh, edamame, roasted chickpeas with some like Mm -hmm. spices and some like lime juice on there. And then just going for like, for some grains, right? So for some quinoa, some farro, rice, which again, pretty low in protein, but still have some protein in them. That's kind of like what my main base is. Sprouted oats are really good too. And they're like, I think the Costco one is like 18 grams of protein per cup or something like that. Sprouts, seeds. Those are the kind of ones that I typically go for. And in terms of exercises or movements, like if someone says, 
well, I don't really want to weight train, but I'm interested in overall health and, you know, mobility. Like what are a few things that you would recommend to people? It's still strength training. <laughs> so, <laughs> so here's, here's the reason why, right? Like, again, depending on your age, as you get older, lean muscle mass decreases, right? Protein synthesis decreases as well. You're more prone to lose lean muscle mass. Bones density starts to go away. So how do you strengthen your bone and increase lean muscle mass and help to balance hormone as well? Strength training, right? Resistance training. We'll put it this way. It doesn't have to be a dumbbell. It doesn't have to be a barbell. It can be a bag with books in it. It can be a resistance band. It could be a tree trunk for all that matters. We just want resistance against gravity ultimately is what we're looking for. You want to put that stress on the bone to kind of strengthen that bone. We want to put that stress on the muscle to tear those muscle fibers so they can repair and become stronger. Our body is just an adaptation machine. It'll adjust to whatever you give it. And so if you don't give it enough to force it to become fitter, why does it need to? It doesn't care. It doesn't care that you're trying to build muscle. It doesn't care that you're trying to lose weight. All it cares about is like, how do I survive as long as possible? Let me get into a neutral state as fast as I can. Right. That's why when you started biking, Sonia, you were burning a shit ton of calories. And you're probably starving on your first workouts. Now you can go for a really long ride and be like, yeah, I'm okay after. Right. Because your body got adjusted to this energy output to this specific form of exercise. So it's the same thing here. You want some strength training to strengthen the bone, build some lean muscle. And also at the end of the day, humans, we hate something that we're not good at. Right. And there's a huge learning curve to strength training in terms of adaptation. You start off, you're not coordinated. Like you do a squat and your hips and your knees are kind of like wonky. You're not very coordinated with the movement. You're not firing off the muscles properly because you've never really done them before. Right. But if you do like, again, three after three to four weeks, it starts to be a bit more coordination. You start to be a bit more strength. Those muscles start to become activated because, again, a lot of those muscle fibers were dormant because you never used them before. So once they start to get activated and you start to become like, you know what I mean, like a piston when you're squatting, like the weights on your back is just like up, down, up, down, and you're in control and you're feeling that strength in your legs, people start to get addicted to that feeling. And so it's just like, just stick with it long enough until you start to feel that coordination and that power. And then you're like, oh, this is great. I feel strong. This is awesome. Let me do a little bit more of it. And I've turned hundred percent of people around in our program that come with us is like, I hate strength training. I'm like, you're just not used to it. And then after they're done, they're like, I can't see myself not working out anymore. Like, I love it. I feel so strong. Um, so a lot of time it's just getting through that, that like steeper learning curve ultimately. Yeah. I can see how much energy you have, like just talking about and your excitement behind it. And I love that you said, no, you have to do it. There is no hack. There isn't like hiking is great. Yoga is great. Cycling is great. Swimming is great. A lot of those are more cardiovascular exercise, which again, don't get me wrong. Super important. You can have the nicest body in the world. If your heart gives out, you still die, right? You want to keep that heart strong. So you need to do some of those exercises. Just call it heart training. Ultimately pick something that's fun. If you love cycling cycle, right? If you hate running, don't run, go swimming, go play basketball, go play soccer, go hiking, whatever it may be. It doesn't need to be a specific form of cardio. I can't believe we're already out of time. Um, I've really enjoyed chatting with you. Where can people find you mm -hmm. and work with you? Yeah, thank you. Well, it was a pleasure chatting with you as well. I'm happy. I'm, I wish we would have connected way before when I was in Squamish. <laughs> Best place would just be uh, fitvegan.ca. You'll find all my social media links, all the podcasts, all the information on like how to work with us, how we help our members. Everything's on there. Cool. Well, thanks so much for coming on the show. And I'm excited to follow you on your journey of getting 10,000 to millions of vegans in the best shape in their life. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I hope you got a lot out of that episode with Maxime Seguin. I certainly did. And if you have any questions about plant-based diet or adding things in, feel free to send me a message on Instagram or through my website or reach out to Maxime. 
I also have recorded many, many podcasts on plant-based nutrition with doctors and athletes and very knowledgeable dietitians. So if you want to check those out, go over to sonyaluni.com slash podcasts, use the drop-down menu and select plant-based and you'll get many options. If I can recommend one book, if you want to be changing your diet and you want all of the information there, get the book Becoming Vegan by Brenda Davis, the comprehensive edition. That is a textbook that I regularly refer to. And even after 10 years, I still look at it. And Brenda is also a very good friend of mine. She has won the Luminary Award for being a plant-based dietitian and she is sought after. So that book is a very good resource to have if you are looking at making a change. And as always, I'm with you on this journey of personal growth, adventure, and our mission to be better every day. And I can't wait to see you right back here next week.